Are you the one who is to come? Or are we to wait for another? Once again, we meet up with John the Baptist, but this isn't anything like what we experienced last week, is it? Last Sunday, John the Baptist showed up right here and all but confronted us with some powerful accusations, words and images of what the inbreaking of God's love might look like. He painted a clear and compelling picture of what he has seen us do year after year as we approach the stable on Christmas Eve to greet the Christ child. His words last week boasted a kind of air of confidence and a clear and compelling call for repentance. Yet John's tune changes markedly in the reading we have just heard. Now, sitting alone in a dark and dank prison cell, John questions his earlier confidence and perhaps his very mission and identity. And so he sends a disciple to go and ask Jesus a poignant and maybe even heartbreaking question. Are you really the guy? Are you really the one who is to come? Or should we look for another? Now we have jumped several chapters ahead in Matthew's gospel and months forward in the narrative that he shares. And John the Baptist seems to have moved from a certain certain and sure confidence to some skepticism, if not outright doubt. At first glance, this may seem confusing and throw us off balance, but I think there's something almost tragically familiar about this shift as we continue to make our way to Jerusalem. John moves from a place of certainty to doubt, from rigidity to fluidity. Fire and brimstone confidence turns to uncertainty and despair. Anticipation turns to disappointment, hope to desperation. None of these moves are unfamiliar to us. Life, even in the midst of this beautiful holiday season, remains complicated and often very stressful. Regardless of your context, whether you have a home or not, a job or not, your health or not, friends and family, or maybe none of these things, all of us seem to have moments of doubt. Times when we question the hand we have been dealt, a sudden illness, the death of someone we love, or any number of heartaches and disappointments. From that perspective, our gospel this morning feels both ancient and modern to me, with John the Baptist working through his version of disillusionment and maybe some doubt. He is sitting in prison, no less, and sending messengers to question and validate whether or not this man, Jesus, was really the one, the one that had been promised. You see, there had been so many claiming to be the Messiah. Was this one really the real deal? For centuries, our Jewish ancestors had been waiting for and looking for the Messiah to come. 
God had long ago made a covenant with King David that one of his descendants would come and reign forever. But instead, the Romans had ruled the country for many years, and with passing month of oppression, longing for the Messiah grew. Imagine John's yearning to hear for certain, yes, this one is the real Messiah. No more waiting. John's questions and Jesus' answers are profound for us as well today. In the midst of Advent, as we prepare for both the birth of Jesus and the second coming of Christ, I think we will do well to stop and ask some questions as well. What are we doing here this morning? What did we come to see and hear? What are we looking for? What are we preparing for? Who are we hoping to find? Perhaps an even more intriguing question for us today is this. How often? How often does Jesus walk among us today unrecognized? And why might that matter? Once upon a time, there was a monastery which had fallen on hard times. It had once been a great monastic order. Eventually, people lost interest in spiritual discipline, though, and the order diminished until only a few old monks were left. Unless something dramatic happened, the end of their movement was surely at hand. The monastery was located in a dense forest. Nearby was a small cabin, and every now and then, a distinguished rabbi would come from the city for a retreat at this cabin deep in the woods. Whenever the monks noticed smoke coming from the cabin, they rejoiced knowing their neighbor had returned. They always enjoyed his company. One day, the abbot discerned in his time of prayer that the rabbi might have held the secret to their dilemma. The abbot hurried over to seek the rabbi's advice. They visited for some time, as they had done for many years. They talked and read tea, sipped tea and read the Bible, and prayed. And then, late in the afternoon, just before the abbot was ready to take his leave, he finally asked the question that burned within him. What do you think we can do to save our order of ministry? The rabbi said that he did not know, but he did have a message for the small order, and he said the most amazing thing. One of you is the Messiah. The abbot was not at all convinced. They too puzzled and were also dubious. In the next few days to come, their skepticism wavered a bit. They began to wonder if perhaps, just perhaps, what he said might have been true. Could one of them really be the Messiah? It might be the abbot who led them so patiently. Or perhaps Brother Thomas. He seemed to have the most radiant faith of them all. Of course, they all agreed that it certainly couldn't be Brother Elred because he was too cranky. Except that quite often he was the one to confront them when they became too casual about matters of faith. And on and on it went. Gradually, they also began to treat one another differently. 
After all, if you are living in community with the Messiah, you probably should treat everyone a little better than you really are. And then in the spring, people from the city who often came for picnics to a beautiful nearby meadow started coming. They would often visit the monastery while they were there. They thought that the old monks were quaint. But after a while, people were coming more and more often and starting to stay longer. It seemed that something had changed in the monastery. The whole atmosphere, or energy, if you will, was different. More and more people came until one day, a young man inquired if he might join the order. Soon all the old monks were dead, but not before they saw their monastery revive as a result of the rabbi's gift. That beautiful story found in Scott Peck's wonderful book, The Different Drum, I think is a poignant reminder that Jesus came to live among us and how embracing that mystery can indeed transform how we treat each other. Advent is a time when the church prepares to celebrate that Christ came. Yes, it is also a season for us to prepare for Christ to come again. Yes, and I am beginning to think that perhaps, most importantly, it is the time for us to remember that this happens to us every day, often without us even knowing it. And today especially, as we light the pink candle, symbolizing joy. Maybe this is a particularly good time to rethink the depth of that joy. And maybe especially in our moments of doubts and disappointments, we can source that joy not from the outside circumstances of our life, but from a deep place inside that is always waiting to be greeted. John the Baptist had his doubts and sent his questions to Jesus. What would it look like if we found a way to do something similar in our own lives? To embrace what we know and what we don't know and what we doubt and our disappointments and then live honestly from that complicated and sometimes difficult experience. So I invite us all this week to look around and wonder together if the Messiah is already here. Who could it be? Could it be the person that delights you and inspires you to live a more compassionate life? Or maybe the person that annoys you and competes for your attention and affection when you would just be rather left alone? Or maybe it is the person that you don't really know and have a strong opinion of, and frankly wouldn't mind if they just couldn't find their way to church next Sunday. Or maybe, maybe the Messiah is the person that you yearn to befriend, but you don't know the words to say to start. Or maybe, maybe the Messiah is one of us. Seriously. Maybe right here, right now made in the image and likeness of God, a sign and symbol of pure love, sitting right here among us. 
What would change in our lives if we anticipated the notion that we are truly made in the image of God? You see, we live an incarnational faith, a faith that compels us to embrace every facet of our lives, our bodies, our minds, our souls, and to infuse ourselves with God's love in such a way that everything we say, touch, do, feel, respond to, think, believe, all convey the depth of that love. So my friends, may joy this day be less about deciding whether or not you are happy. And instead, perhaps joy can be an invitation to release some deep pain and make room for love, coming soon in the form of a baby that will cry out to be seen and heard. I took my tree down to the shore, the garland and the silver star, to find my peace and breathe no To heal this place inside my heart On every branch I laid some bread And hungry birds filled up the sky They rang like bells around my they sang my spirit back to life. What tiny child can change the world? One shining light can show the way. Through all the tears, what I've lost, there's still my joy. There's still my joy for Christmas Day. The snow comes down on empty sand. There's tinsel moonlight on the waves. My soul was Christmas Day.